He said, you grab a hold of this. Jesus said, I'll give you the key and nothing will be able to stop you. See, it's this rock, this, this belief, this faith that is the key. It is in this that will build the solid foundation of the life of men and so many men men so desperately need. We may not have all the questions answered and our life may not be as neat and organized as we would like, but we can accept the love and the affirmation of who Jesus is. He is not just a prophet. He is not just a good man. He is not just a teacher. He is Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God, the Savior and the hope of mankind. Welcome to the Destined to Win podcast with pastor and teacher Tim Masters. Pastor Tim is the senior pastor of Victorious Life Christian Center in Flagstaff, Arizona. I'm Joe Harding, inviting you to join us for worship services Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. at the Flagstaff Middle School Complex. For more information on the ministries of Victorious Life Christian Centers or to make a donation, visit us online at vlccaz.org. That's vlccaz.org. Now with today's message, here's Pastor Tim Masters. If you have your Bibles quickly, we have a lot to do this morning and a very short time to do it. I promise to get you out before two. So if you have an appointment, you can call somebody right now. I just a little humor there. We're talking about building a legacy over the last few weeks. Uh And today I want to talk about a man of legacy, and it's a man you might not think would be in that title, yet it was, because out of all of the 12 disciples, the 12 apostles, this man, I believe, stands head and shoulders among the rest, above the rest, not because he did all the greatest things, it's because he realized you don't quit, you don't quit. Peter, a man of resolution. At the end of this uh, message this morning, we're going to do a resolution celebration. We had several men went through the courageous movie, the resolution, and we're actually going to have a celebration of that this morning. Uh, Phil, stand up, would you, Phil? He leads our men's ministry, doing a quite excellent job, if I do say so myself. He'll be leading us in that, and uh, it's just going to be a time. We're going to be starting it up in a few weeks. He'll, he'll tell us a little bit about that. You want to, men, this is men only, and what we deal with in that, past, in that uh, class and in that series is we deal with the fact of learning how to be men. Amen. Folks, before I became a Christian, I didn't have a clue. I thought manhood was just male. Uh, no. There's so much more. Tomorrow night, uh, uh, Pastor Ray Kirkland's going to be with us, and we're doing a joint men's meeting with uh, uh, Lamb of God, uh, uh, Grace Fellowship, and uh, uh, Family Harvest from Williams, ourselves, and a couple other churches have talked about possibly coming. And he's going to 
He's going to minister a message, what it means to be a man. And so you need to be there. So if I can take you for a few moments into God's word, into this message, I want you to listen. John chapter 1, verse 40. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard John, had followed Jesus and had followed Jesus. First thing Andrew did was to find Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah. And he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, Simon, son of Jonah, some of your Bibles say, uh, uh, son of, um, there's another name besides John, but son of John, which is what it literally means, you shall now be called Cephas, which being translated means Peter, which means a large stone, a rock. Talking about a revelation that God gave him. And men, nothing personal, ladies, but I'm going to be talking to the men today. And you ladies need to say amen as much as you possibly can because this is going to help you, I pray. When we see the men who follow Jesus, we see them far from extraordinary. Matter of fact, as we look at the disciples, we find them actually quite ordinary. They came from various backgrounds. Most of them were blue collar. They were fishermen. They were different workers. The only white collar person that was actually in the 12 disciples, if you would, would be Matthew, who was a tax collector. I guess that could be considered a white collar guy. Every one of the disciples that Jesus chose were raised, were come, they came from northern Israel, which is a critical point to look at. Judas, on the other hand, was from Judea, which is in southern Israel. Southern Israelis or the southern Jews, they looked down on the northern ones as ignorant and unlearned and unschooled or educated and very incompetent. Now look at me for a second. You and I are in good company. The only disciple that Jesus chose from the well-to-do, the well-educated, the, the, the upper echelon of society was a man named Judas, the only one from southern Israel. This is important, folks, because a lot of us, like Judas, put our trust in everything but God. And we see the end result, don't we? And it is the same. It is the same result to everyone that trusts anything but the Lord. They were all different, but one thing they had in common, they chose to follow Jesus. In life, in ministry, they went through many of the same challenges that you I and I go through in our everyday life. They were often confused because they didn't entirely understand Jesus' teaching. How many can say, that's me? Okay, I thought it was just me, but it's all of us. At times, they were even in competition with one another. They even had personal prejudices and preferences on how to do and who should do the ministry. Now, I found this really cute little, little resume, if you will. Jesus decided to send the 12 disciples' names to the Jordan Management Consultants Company. 
to get some feedback. You know, you got to do that these days. You got to kind of qualify those folks. And they write back to Jesus. They said, thank you for submitting the resume of the 12 you have picked for management positions in your new organization. All of them have now taken our battery of tests, and we have not only run the results through our computer, but we also arranged personal interviews for each of them. And our psychologist, I don't know why they didn't add psychiatrist, but anyway, their psychologist and vocational aptitude consultants grilled them extensively. And it is our opinion that most of your nominees lack in background, education, vocational aptitude for the type of venture you are now trying to undertake. How many can say, man, sounds like me? Simon Peter, it's interesting in the picture they start out with Simon Peter, said he's emotionally unstable and even given to fits of temper. Some of you wives miss a great place to say amen there. Andrew does not have the qualities of leadership. The two brothers, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, you know those two? They place personal interest above company loyalty. Tommen demonstrates a questioning attitude that might undermine morale, and it is our duty to tell you that the Greater Jerusalem Better Business Bureau has blacklisted Matthew. James, the son of Alphaeus, and particularly Simon the Zealot, They're quite radical in their leanings, and they both have registered a high score for the manic depressive scale. Thaddeus is definitely sensitive, as he wants to try to make everyone happy. One of the candidates, however, shows the greatest potential. He is a man of ability, resourcefulness, meets people well, has a keen business mind, and has contacts in high places. He is highly motivated, ambitious, and responsible. We recommend that Judas Iscariot become the controller and the right-hand man. All of the other profiles are self-explanatory. Sincerely, the Jordan Management Consultants Company. Not highly recommended. I thought it was interesting, even in this little note, they named Peter first. But what I want to do today for the next few moments is I want to talk about Peter, a man of resolution, a man building a legacy, and if you and I are to build that legacy, I would encourage you of the 12 that we become like Peter. A man among men, bold, courageous in his faith, his attitude, and his action. Now, we might look at Peter as being Hot-headed, overreactive, impulsive, open mouth, insert for fire, then aim kind of guy. I mean, remember Peter? He's the guy that when he realized it was Jesus when he went fishing and caught a whole bunch of fish, he jumped off the boat without life jacket or clothes. A little impetuous, a little impulsive. Yet there was a demeanor about this man that was courageous, that was brave, that was resolute. And when Jesus saw Simon, the first thing that he did is he gave Simon a new name. He didn't rename any of the rest of the disciples. He renamed Simon. He said there was a characteristic about Simon. And as we find and we read through the scripture of Simon's life, we find a revelatory facet in him. And Jesus turned his name from just Simon to Cephas, which means Peter or a solid rock. 
Look at me for a second. Every one of us, Jesus sees more in us than we see in ourselves. We might look up and say, I know that guy that I shave every morning. And Jesus on the other side of that mirror says, yeah, I know him too. Yeah, he messes up a lot. Yeah, but he lifts others up a lot, Jesus would say. Oh, he falls down a lot. And Jesus said, yeah, but he shores others a lot. And you might sit back and say, well, pastor, you don't know me like I know me. I say, you don't know you like Jesus knows you. Jesus tends to see more. Peter became very close to Jesus. Matter of fact, he became part of the inner circle. I've shared this with our leaders over time. We always hear about the 12 disciples, but when you read the scripture, Jesus really spent almost all of his time with only three. James, his brother, his half-brother, John, the beloved who wrote four books of the New Testament, five books of the New Testament actually, and Peter. He became the spokesman many times. Peter was a proud man. He, he refused at one time to allow Jesus to wash his feet. And this goes back to that I'm giving it all to you song we sang. Jesus just told him, set up, I can't wash your feet, then I can't have anything to do with you. If we can't give it all to Jesus, he can't do anything with us. Why? Because just as soon as he gets to go on the right track, we turn and change cars. Am I making sense today? So Peter really regrouped himself and said, oh, not my feet only, but my whole body. <laughs> and then Jesus said, you know, you don't need the rest of it, just your feet because you're going to be walking in a path you've never walked before. Another time Peter tried to interfere with God's mission for Jesus and Jesus had to command Peter to step aside. He said it very lovingly. He said, Satan, get behind me. Of course, he wasn't calling Peter Satan. He was talking to the spirit that was trying to deceive Peter. Still another time, Peter was willing to take on the entire Roman army if necessary to protect Jesus. Matter of fact, he tried to lop a guy's head off and only got his ear. And that's when Jesus told him, he said, Peter, you don't understand. The man that lives by a sword will die by a sword. And then we'll ultimately know that Peter vowed to follow Jesus even to the death only literally a few moments later to deny him profusely. After the resurrection, when word had gotten back through Mary of Magdala that the tomb was empty, the Bible says that Jesus was talking to Mary after she realized that he wasn't the gardener. Jesus revealed himself and told Mary, she said, he, Jesus told him, go tell the disciples and Peter. Look at me, folks. There are times in our life where God will say, go tell the church and Vince. Go tell the church and David Parble. Go tell the church and Bill Weaver. Go tell the church and Jimmy Navajo. God will specifically pick you out. Why? He sees more in you than you see in yourself. I encourage you, look in that mirror and start looking for what God sees. You might say, Pastor, I feel like Gideon. Gideon was hiding in a wine press, and the Bible says the angel of the Lord showed up to him. He's cowering down. I mean, there's all kinds of tumult going on around him. He's cowering down, and the Bible says the angel of God shows up to him and says, Oh, mighty man of valor. 
I'm sure Gideon looked up and says, who else is hiding in here? God sees resolution in your life. He sees what he called you to be. And he just said, will you listen? Am I making sense this morning? Peter, the Bible said, raced to the the tomb. He and John, John being much younger, outran Peter, but John didn't have the resolution to go in, so Peter just plows into the tomb, surveyed the situation. After the ascension, when he returned to tell the disciples, go and do what I told you to do, the Bible says it was Peter, not Matthew. It was Peter, not James. It was Peter, not John. It was Peter, not Thaddeus, that stood up that day. And 3,000 came to know Christ as Savior. Peter realized who he was because he realized who Jesus was in him. Can you say amen? He stood at the gate beautiful on that day. And this blind man that had been there since his birth, begging for alms, Peter said, I got nothing. Look at me, those of you that got nothing. Not good English, but good preaching. Because the devil tries to convince you, you got nothing. Oh, you got all of heaven at your hand. He said, silver and gold, I don't have any. But such as I have, I'm going to give you. In the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. The man was healed instantly. Simon Peter, a man's man. Today, we might look at him as a combo of combination of Rambo, Eastward, and Schwarzenegger. Why? Because Peter was a man that resolved to not only give his life, but to live his life for his Lord and Savior. Number one in your notes quickly, Peter had the insight to see beyond the moment. At the beginning of Jesus' public ministry, Peter realized that Jesus had knowledge and understanding beyond the natural. He was a carpenter, but he knew stuff about all kinds of things. He's standing in the temple at 12 years old preaching to the Pharisees. He's standing at the very beginning of his ministry, and God is doing incredible things. And the Bible says that he knew all kinds of stuff, but what got Peter's attention, he knew everything about fishing. Peter was a premier fisherman. Peter also noticed that Jesus was a take-charge kind of guy. Ladies and gentlemen, let me talk to you something about Christianity. Christianity is not passive. I've, I've talked to different people in town and, and uh, you know, when I meet different people and pastors and stuff, I say, you know, they, they start talking about victorious life. They start talking about me and they say, you know, we heard you're kind of pushy. I like the company. Jesus was kind of pushy. Are you all okay with that? Chris, am I doing okay? Okay. Yeah, just, I don't see passivity in Christianity. I see aggression. Oh, you're one of those kind of guys, are you? Yeah, if that's called a Bible kind of guy, I is. Jesus didn't take no for an answer. The only time that Jesus held back was when he was going to Calvary. 
He said, as a sheep dumb before his shearers, he didn't say a word. See, Jesus was a man of resolution. Peter was a man of resolution. He was a take charge kind of guy. The Bible says that Peter witnessed him turning water into the wine in the, in the uh, marriage supper. He watched him take charge in the temple when the merchants were trying to turn the temple into the farmer's market. He was a little confused when Jesus was talking to the Samaritan woman. Listen to me, ladies. Jesus is the only one in all of those scriptures that gave the credit due to women. From Genesis to Revelation, God used women in an incredible way. He was a little confused. But it was this woman that he used to turn that city upside down. And the Bible says the entire city came out to hear this man. It was then that Peter realized when Jesus said, look on the fields, they are white already for harvest, that he was talking about Jews and Gentiles. He was talking about the lost. You see, in all of his observations of the ministry of Jesus, it was the day that Peter allowed Jesus to use his boat as a pulpit. It was that day Peter had watched, Peter had listened, Peter observed, and he watched this man among men. And he said, I want to be like him. The Bible says Jesus said, come, follow me. I'll make you fishers of men. And the Bible teaches that Peter left it all, gave it all. Peter, Andrew, James, and John, they were fishing and you know, and they hadn't caught anything. All night, they were cleaning their nets, and, their nets and, and all of a sudden, uh, they noticed this crowd coming, and they found it was Jesus in the midst of the crowd coming towards the beach, and in order to preach a better, he asked Peter to use his boat. Peter allowed him to get on the boat, and he taught. You, you know what happens with a real man? A real man doesn't just passively say, well, I'm into this thing. No, he watches, he waits, he listens, he tries to figure this thing out and says, you know, I like what I see, everything I see is the same, I'm in. He realizes that nothing is for nothing also. A real man realizes that life is full of give and take. Sometimes we're taking more than we're giving, sometimes we're giving more than we're taking. But Peter knew I've watched this guy, and everything attached to him has returned. He told Peter, after he's done preaching, go back out into the deep water, cast your nets. Now think about this. Peter, the premier fisherman, all the rest of his buddies are out there. They're probably thinking, the guy's foolish. This guy's an idiot. We've fished all night and haven't caught anything. But listen to what Peter said. At your word, I'll do it. You see, a man of resolution doesn't look for all the amens and the hallelujahs and the praise of the Lord's and the glory. Go for it. He just said, God said, do it. I'm doing it. Because he watched and he listened. I'm sure he had that thought. Hey, I'm the expert fisherman, not you. But he watched and he did. He observed and he believed, so he obeyed. He went out, and the Bible says that they started pulling in the nets, and they were so heavy with fish that they started to break. He had to call James and John. 
and Andrew, the, the partners in his business, to come over and take care of things. They filled both of the boats almost to the place that they sink. Peter realized, I've got more than just a man in this boat. The Bible says he came and fell at Jesus' feet and said, I'm a sinful man. I need your forgiveness. And that's when Jesus said, don't worry. I don't care what you were. Give your life to me, and I'll make you what I called you to be. Ladies and gentlemen, that's all he's looking for. Guys, look at me, please, men. It's time to man up. Your wife needs a Lord in her home. Let me say it again. Men, your wife needs a Lord L with a little L. And the only way you're going to be that Lord that Jesus called you to be in your home is you've got to love the big L. Jesus, Lord, become all in your life. Jesus said, don't worry, man. I'm going to show you how to really fish. And we're going to catch the big crop. It's called men. When a man sees something, to believe in, a man will forsake everything. The Bible says Peter left everything to follow Jesus. What a man, when a man sees a man, be what he says he will be, it'll transform his life. One of the, the greatest compliments that I get in this church is they say, Pastor, you do what you say and what you say you do. I can follow that. Paul said these words, follow me as I follow Christ. In Philippians 4, he was giving some understanding of leadership, and he did it again in 2 Timothy. He said the things you've learned, you've seen, you've received, and you've heard in me, do those things. A real man doesn't just jump in. He wants to see if what he is really seeing is really real. real. And if it is, he throws all the fluff aside and he jumps on board. There's too much fluff in the church. Gentlemen, it is time to look past the fluff and step in the stuff. Belly up and get a little tough. Our wives need it. Our children need it. Society needs it. We live in an emasculated society, ladies and gentlemen. It's tough to be a man. I was having coffee with, with a couple pastors. And then I was visiting with some folks from our church. And, and I said, guys, I'm about the least politically correct guy you'll ever meet. I was taken, you'll... Remember this, Randon? I was taken into the office at Chase Bank when I was working there, and the manager told me I can't pray for people at the desk anymore. One of the other bankers turned me in. I'd been doing it since the day I started, but the devil wasn't happy because I was doing very well at the bank. Can you say amen, Randon? They kind of liked me there a little bit. I went in the office there, and, and she sat me down and says, you can't do that. I said, okay, I'll get my notice today then. What do I go talk about? What? I said, Kari, I am who I am. I'm not standing up on the desk. Repent, sinners. 
I thought it once or twice, once or twice. I thought about doing it, but I didn't. I, I'm just praying. And I'm telling her, I'm saying, listen to me. Listen to me. These people are coming. They have needs. What is the best I could do for them but pray? And some of them are in our church today, aren't they? Sherry and, and Larry and, and uh, my mind just went blank. I know there's uh, uh, Anne. You know, I pray for her and David had that forbidden desk. Got several people coming. Why? Because, folks, that's what I am. I found something that's really real. And my life ain't been the same since. Peter, in your notes, believed what he saw. And because of that, he was able to follow what he believed. If we're going to do what God wants us to do in the men of Flagstaff, the men of the city have to see something more than just a bunch of guys walking around, slapping each other on the shoulder, saying, praise the Lord, bro. They got to start seeing some men that maybe aren't as politically correct, that maybe aren't measuring up to status quo. In Matthew 16, Jesus was nearing the end of his ministry. Arrest, trial, crucifixion would soon happen. And he knew the disciples needed to be strong in their face to face the uncertain future. So he takes them back to Philippi to a place called Caesarea. And he sits there and he asks them, who do people say that I am? Listen to me, this is important in your life and mine because the enemy is trying to get this picture of Jesus out there that isn't the Jesus of the scriptures. And he said, who do people say that I am? And they went through this, this litmus test of, of things. And then he turned to them and looked at them in the eye and said, who do you say that I am? Ladies and gentlemen, men, who do you say Jesus is? Because that's what's gonna transform your life and every life around you. Can you say Amen. It was there that Peter stood up and said, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. See, Peter watched his life. Peter watched his ministry. Peter listened and he believed. And in Matthew 16, he said these words, man did not reveal this truth to you. You are Peter. And upon this rock, no, Peter was not the rock. The revelation that Peter received, he said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. If you know who Jesus is, if you've made a commitment to your life, sir and ma'am, if you know that you know that you know, I want you to know all of hell can't bring you down. Y'all got to be careful. I might start preaching in a second. I will give you, underline this in your notes, please. He said, you grab a hold of this. Jesus said, I'll give you the keys of the kingdom. And nothing will be able to stop you. See, it's this rock, this, this belief, this faith that is the key. It is in this that will build the solid foundation of the life 
of men and so many men, men so desperately need. We may not have all the questions answered and our life may not be as neat and organized as we would like, but we can accept the love and the affirmation of who Jesus is. He is not just a prophet. He is not just a good man. He is not just a teacher. He is Jesus Christ, the son of the living God, the savior and the hope of mankind. Peter said, I know who he is. And that was the stand that drew Peter. Quickly, the Bible says there's two disciples that denied the Lord, Peter and Judas. What was the difference? Judas felt sorry, but didn't repent. He went and hung himself. Peter felt sorry and repented. One ran to the way the world deals with issues and the other one ran to the one that deals with the world's issues. Men, it's okay to have doubts. I've been only doing this, you know, 30 something years. I've been a pastor for, you know, I guess that's not a long time, but I guess it's okay. And I still have doubts. Some of you come in and get saved and I doubt you're saved. Did I say that? I'm just kidding. A little humor there. Maybe not as much humor as I probably like. Anyway, we, uh, you know, some people come in and, and, and you pour yourself into them and think, God, I'm giving my all. What is the deal? Why, why aren't they doing the same thing to you? And those doubts go, make a difference. Folks, there's, there's times, I'm just, true confessions of your pastor. There are times that I spend time before the Lord crying, God, am I really making a difference? Why? Why do I? You say, Pastor, look at, look at the church. Folks, I want everyone I touch to change. And when just one doesn't, God, am I really making a difference? My wife, bless her heart, she was in the office the other day and I'm just sitting in my chair and all of a sudden she comes out to console me. I'm just overwhelmed. At that moment, the Lord's presence and just thinking, oh God, I strive so much, but I do so little. I, I deal with these doubts. Is it okay for your pastor to be honest? It's okay to have misconceptions and shortcomings. Just keep your eyes on the message. Keep your eyes on Jesus. We're all growing. One thing I know about real men, they might mess up, but they get back up. Peter boasted about his commitment to Christ and then he fell short. I understand that the words, the words are easy to say, but the decisions are hard to make. And God forbid if before the Lord's return we have to face that moment where they say, deny Christ or die, what will you do? Is it going to come to that? Don't have a clue. Something will happen. It's already happening around the world. How many are reading the news and seeing this stuff where they're starting to refuse children to even talk about Christ in school? It's not legal. It's not constitutional, but they have gotten society to believe it. 
How many read the story where they're going to put a Satanist monument right next to the Ten Commandments in this one, this one uh, court jurisdiction? They've already got an atheist statue there. Now they're going to put a Satanist statue there. One of the most perverted things you ever saw. But folks, this is the world we live in. You see, words are easy. It's easy to shout praise the Lord and clap our hands in church. What are we doing out there? Who do we say that he is? John Huss, Roman Catholic priest, was burned at the stake in 1401 because he maintained that Jesus, not Peter, was the head of the church. The Catholic church takes uh, Peter and makes him the head of the church. I was raised Catholic, folks. I know lots of it. Went through procreal, went through catechism, went through all that junk. My wife, she even wore the little outfits growing up. <laughs> I'm sorry, sweetie. They didn't make us wear them. I wore blue jeans. <laughs> Greatest fun I ever had at the Catholic Church was during catechism. I was playing bingo and won a toy truck. I tell you what, I was rolling that day. Anyway, that's neither here nor there. But John Huss, Roman Catholic priest, burned at the stake in 1401 because he maintained that Jesus, not Peter, was the head of the church. As the frames licked up around him, he said, in the truth of the gospel I have written, I have taught, I have preached, I die willingly, I die joyfully. This was a man of resolution. He knew who he was. Polycarp, Bishop of Smyrna, arrested and denounced by the government. What was his charge for being a Christian? Proconsul urged him to save his life by cursing Christ. Polycarp said these words. He said, 86 years I have served him and he never did anything wrong to me. How can I blaspheme my king today? Ladies and gentlemen, it's got to be a man of resolution, a woman of resolution. Today, men, understand, your wife needs you to be that man that is so resolute. I don't care if I can say this in church. We'll figure it out later. Come hell or high water, she's going to stand because he's standing. Ladies, is that your man? Gentlemen, are you that man? She desperately needs it. Oh, not because she's weak and she's unable. My wife's one of the strongest women that I know. But the greatest strength she derives is when she knows that I cover her, that I'm there for her. I can see the smiles across the ladies right now. Girls, your man is that man. That's the man Jesus sees. Help them to see that man, would you please? Three times Jesus, Peter denied Christ. He failed the Lord miserably. But this man among men, this man of resolution, realized, I, I can't quit. He holds the keys of eternity. Lastly, as I wrap this up, failure is not final. Problems are not permanent it is time to return. The Bible talks about a man named Samson. He was captured by the Philistines. His eyes were burned out. All because he thought his strength was in himself, though he realized it was in the glory of God. But the Bible teaches that as Samson was tied between these two pillars at a Philistinian banquet, they were cavalier, they were rejoicing, they were celebratory at the great victory over 
the great man of God, Samson. He's standing chained. All he can hear is the revelry. He can't see a thing because his eyes are gone. And in that time, he's saying, God, forgive me. Return to me as I return to you. And God, give me strength one more time. And the Bible says he pulled those pillars in upon himself. And as the ceiling, as the event came crashing down, more victory in his death than in all of his life. Look at me, gentlemen. You might have had a life that was a mess. God said it's time for victory. I'll pull those pillars of frustration and failure and anxiety and aggravation and, and, and discouragement. He said, I'll pull them all down and I'll give you the greatest victory you ever had. Before Calvary, Peter was impetuous, though courageous. He was looking to his earthly power. But after Pentecost, he became patient, forbearing, and humbled. Why? He surrendered himself to all that God had. Gentlemen, Peter was a man among men. Yet as a human, and might I say, as a male, he was all that the world thought he could be. But he failed miserably. Look at me, guys, please. Have you failed? Maybe not completely, maybe just lately. By your actions, by your thoughts? Have you denied the Lord? You say, well, not publicly. How about before your wife? By not just being the man that God called you to be. You see, ladies and gentlemen, gentlemen, listen to me. Your first congregation is at your home. And you can sit back and you can say all these things. Well, you know, I just, I, I, I just, I, I had a moment. It's time for the moments to go away. Well, you know what? I just, I got this weakness. It's time to deal with that weakness. I got these issues. You think it's time? You can fill in the blank however you want to. She knows who you are. I tell people all the time, God have mercy on my wife. She knows who I am and still loves me. And she still calls me pastor. Think about that. Not only being the husband, but being her pastor also. My first congregation is at home. I get emails from people that I have pastored over the years saying, Pastor, I because you were what you were, I am what I am. And God is still building. I got an email from a lady of Victorious Life in California. They say she might have cancer. And she wrote back to me in a text and said, Pastor, I can be strong because you taught me how to be strong. I can do this because so many times you taught me how to live but I watched you teach us how to die. This old boy's been through one or two things in life. Where are you at, sir? It's not time to stay down and stay defeated. It's time to look up and reach up. Jesus will reach down and he will lift you up to the place that he 
has called you to be. He will give you that victory. Resolve that from this day forward, you will be the man, the father, the leader, the husband that God has called you to be. That you will be steadfast, committed, unmoving in the one you know. Because he knows you. And he is your Lord. Pastor Tim Masters with this week's message on the Destined to Win podcast. Destined to Win is made possible with the prayerful and financial support of those destined to win. To donate online, visit vlccaz.org. That's vlccaz.org. Destined to Win is a production of Victorious Life Christian Center with services Sunday mornings at 10 at the Flagstaff Middle School Complex. I'm Joe Harding. For Pastor Tim Masters and the congregation at Victorious Life Christian Centers, you're invited to join us here next week for another edition of the Destined to Win podcast.